Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. I'm Erika Cole, known as the Church Attorney, and you're listening to the Church Law Podcast, which is a part of Christianity Today's podcast network. As you may recall, I'm originally from a small rural town, now living outside of Washington, D.C. with my husband and two sons. I've had the pleasure of practicing law for over 20 years, and my sole focus has been serving churches, ministries, and denominations in the area of church law. And I've had the pleasure of being a senior editorial advisor with Church Law and Tax. I'm excited that because of you, our listeners, the podcast has now entered season two. And for the first time, we're welcoming back a guest from season one. In fact, the most downloaded episode from our first season was my interview with Dr. Galiat Satos. He's a pulmonary and critical care medicine physician and assistant professor, Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the renowned Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. In that episode from season one, it's titled Legal Issues for Churches, in pandemic times, including vaccination questions and other FAQs. I'll be sure to link to that episode in the show notes so you can catch it there if you missed it. Um, But we had a chance to review his work, um, his important work as a pulmonologist and professor. Dr. G, as he's often called, um, has committed to work with churches and religious organizations to be a resource, especially in these COVID times. So Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast, Dr. Galeotsatos. It is a true honor to be back. Uh, I can't thank you enough. And I did not know we were the most downloaded. That's fantastic. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's pretty amazing. Um, Honestly, the receptivity to the podcast has been incredible. We've had so many great reviews and people who've given us five stars and people who've said, I'm listening and I appreciate what you're sharing. So thank you for being back with us. A true honor, true honor. And again, you know, I, I got to make this point, you know, we're, whenever a physician, you know, whenever we get to be invited back, it usually just means, you know, we're, we're, we're impacting the community, but, you know, thank you for the interview. I mean, you're allowing us to get the messaging out in a way that people understand and it's actionable. Because, you know, the pandemic ends if we all feel responsible for it ending. So thank you for my answer. My pleasure. So I'm going to start with this question because you and I first met probably six months into the pandemic. And I've got to be honest, when the governor came on and he said, get the materials that you'll need for two weeks and, you know, go to the grocery store and all this sort of thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, two weeks, my kids are going to be home for two weeks. What are we going to do? Right. And now here we are. (laughs) We've checked in a couple of times since then. The last time we talked when you were on the podcast was about six months ago. So here's my question. 
What's different with the COVID virus from a medical standpoint from when we talked six months ago? From my brain, it's the two variants. They immediately come to mind. But tell me from a medical standpoint. No, so the the variants are are by far what's gotten the medical attention as well as the community's attention. You know, so whether you wanted to learn Greek or not, here we are learning it. And, you know, from our standpoint, we sit back, you know, this is the part that fascinates us right now. And I see this not at all to mitigate what people are experiencing, right? You know, to get out of this, you know, it's all about not catching it. We do catch it, not spreading it. And at the same time, making sure we don't transform it into something that's life threatening. Right, that results in healthcare systems and hospitals overwhelmed where we can't treat you and, and cure you. I always tell people, we, we're really good at treating COVID unless we're overwhelmed. At that moment, then we're running out of resources, both people and the technology. And so right now, the you know I always say we, we really don't need any more scientific revolutions or breakthroughs. So I'm glad our you know, colleagues are doing it. We're looking at Omicron-specific vaccines. Great, you know, let, let people think and tinker and put it out there. But the vaccine is still two years old still working great. I mean, yes, we needed to keep boosting to some extent, right? That just means, hey, we just need to keep those antibodies up and high, but it seems to be doing what we want it to. If you catch Omicron or the newest variant, you're staying safe, right? It's a bad cold. And again, I don't mean to take anything away from that, but it's not life-threatening, right? So we still recognize those interventions are still helping at this moment. The biggest concern though, that we've had with Omicron, you know, one thing that we haven't developed anything other than face masking and public health consciousness is Omicron came out with higher transmissibility, right? This is easier to catch. It came out two years into the pandemic where probably pandemic fatigue is really kicking in for many of us. And it came out around the holidays. So our guards get let down and we just saw Omicron's you know, genetic potential live out, catching as many people as possible. And even if we, you know, this is the frustration of the wordplay, we say, well, it's milder disease, right? Less people will get hospitalized. Fair enough, but the numerator and denominator are really important here because if you infect 10,000 people in a week compared to Delta, which would have only done 1,000, Delta sends in you know, 30% people of the 1,000 to the hospital, it's 300. 10,000, say 10%. That's 1,000 people, right? So that's still a lot of people ending up into the hospital. So be just cautious. That's why I tell my colleagues, you, you can't say these words, right? Because they have more hospital and scientific and medical meaning than to the general population. So here, my like, all right, then I'll take my chances. So from my standpoint, yeah, the variances are what concern us, but they do emerge, right? These kind of evolutionary changes, they occur in really populations that don't have um, what I call, uh, hopefully this term's okay, I call a smart immune system, meaning they got antibodies, right? Who knows how to recognize this, right? Because if we're in, if we have an appropriate amount of antibodies from the vaccine, we put the pressure on the virus to stay mild, to stay as a bad cold. This virus finds people that haven't had that level of immunity, then it's going to just continue doing what it wants. Mother Nature is very hard. You know, she will just dictate the course. So the big things now, two years into this, you know, the variances are popping up in places that aren't well vaccinated. So we need to do better with global equity of vaccines. And at the same time, we still have the technology to stop this. So those are the big things on my end. Those are the Mm -hmm. big things. No, I appreciate that. It's very interesting because just as you shared from a personal standpoint, I didn't really know people who personally who had COVID in 2020, but somehow 
December of last year, it feels like I knew so many people who had COVID. It's one of those things that most people now at this point have either encountered it themselves or know people you know closely who've encountered it. And so thank you for that insight from a medical standpoint. I want to answer a particular question from listeners that came in regarding the Supreme Court ruling that on January 13, 2022, the Supreme Court made an important ruling regarding mandatory vaccinations. From a legal standpoint, I feel like that is still one of the biggest questions I get. So I'm quoting their opinion because I think it's important that listeners know how this case matriculated to the top court, as well as the basis for the Supreme Court's ruling. And then, Dr. G, I'm going to ask you a question on the other side of this. So the Secretary of Labor, acting through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which we generally refer to as OSHA, recently enacted a vaccine mandate for much of the nation's workforce. The mandate which employers must enforce applies to roughly 84 million workers covering virtually all employers with at least 100 employees. It requires that covered workers receive a COVID-19 vaccine and it preempts contrary state laws. The only exception is for workers who obtain medical tests each week at their own expense and on their own time and also wear a mask each workday. OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress. Indeed, although Congress has enacted significant legislation addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, it has declined to enact two National Federation of Independent Business versus OSHA procurium, any measure similar to what OSHA has promulgated here. So many states, businesses, and nonprofit organizations, and I would say that includes churches, challenged OSHA's rule in the Court of Appeals across the country. The Fifth Circuit initially entered a stay, but when the cases were consolidated before the Sixth Circuit, that court lifted the stay and allowed OSHA's rule to take effect. Applicants now seek emergency relief from this court, arguing that OSHA's mandate exceeds its statutory authority and is otherwise unlawful. So what did the court say? They agreed that the applicants are likely to prevail and they granted their applications and stay the rule. So in other words, of course, that means that OSHA vaccination mandate is stayed, meaning that it can't move forward question to you, Dr. G, is as a pulmonologist and seeing COVID-19 move into its second year, what do you see as the medical implications of, of this court decision? You know, from our standpoint, again, it's we, we want to keep people well protected. You know, that that's first and foremost. You know, I'm a human being, so laws will impact me one way or the other. And so whether I want to plead ignorance, I'm like, well, it's the legal world or not, like it's going to impact us. And so from my standpoint, let me say this, right? I always viewed the legality of this as one way to try to assure people can get the vaccine. It may not be the way people want to get the vaccine. And so to me, like I just saw it as a tool. At the same time, the other tool that should always have been there is the conversations, right? You know, when you introduced me about working with churches, it's because we go and talk to the churches and so forth because we want people to see the vaccine not as a belief. We're not a religion. I don't need you to believe in the vaccine. I need you to trust, right? That's what science is. We'll give you information and hopefully you trust us enough to take that information and act on it. 
And the only way I can do that, since science is in our culture, right? It's not like, yeah, people go to academia, but it's it's not it's, it doesn't tell you how to live life and so forth. You still got to have it abide by your own culture and your own identity. So when I go to these congregations, right, and I hear the imam take the vaccine notion and attach it to scripture from the Quran, and it's suddenly his congregation's nodding, like, yeah, he just did a cultural translation for us. Boom, right? We have 82 partners with our faith-based groups. Over 95% of them have got the vaccine, right? So what I would say is the legality, I viewed it, maybe it's the right or wrong way to view it. I viewed it as a tool to get people to access the vaccine. At the same time, I also recognize that may create friction. A tool that should have always been there should have been healthcare systems saying, hey, we need medical messengers going out, talking to the communities in real time, right? Get their questions asked, get their questions answered, listen, so they can have the confidence in this. So that's, you know, from my standpoint, if we were relying just on the law, yeah, it's going to ravage us. People were, you know, if they were, if they didn't trust the vaccine to begin with and they saw the law and created friction, you know, and we have no ways of bringing that back, we're going to lose a lot of people and this pandemic will continue. So that's how I view it. I apologize if it's not the most legal approach, but I was hoping it's seen as a tool and shouldn't compensate for the lack of communication that should have always been there from a health system. No, I, I appreciate that. And you have, I think, been very consistent in your message that communication is really key. We want to make sure that people have the information to make um, good decisions and that a part of what the faith community is known to do is be able to translate that medical information in a way that impacts the community that they serve. And so leading into that question, in what ways can churches and faith leaders be a part of the solution to ending COVID-19? And I think you've sort of given that inference. Yeah, and this is huge. This is where I really, really strive for this medical revolution. You know, from a science standpoint, I'll, I'll weave it into the churches. I mean, from a science standpoint, you know, the genesis of, you know, medicine, you know, when we date back to those ancient Greeks, those ancient Greek doctors and many other doctors in other cultures, they didn't have a hospital to reside in. They worked, they went out into the community. They took what they're hearing and tried to align it with the culture of the day and so forth. Some way, shape or form in the, in the 20th and 21st century, you know, we, you can plan a hospital in the community, but it doesn't feel like it's part of the community. It just feels like, all right, I got to go there if I need it, right? So from my standpoint, healthcare systems and medical systems, we need to be out there talking about science in a way that it can align with people's culture. And I say this because, you know, with the vaccine, I tell people, I, I can do eight hours worth of lecture on it. That's not how I go out and talk to people. It's like playing music. There's millions of notes. You play a few to hit, make the hit you want. So that medical messaging can only come if we go out with the community and have that cultural transformation. So where can churches play a role? Let's get those doctors to come in, get those public health officials to come in, get them to come and tell them, this isn't a lecture. This isn't a grand rounds. You're going to come in so you can talk and listen, right? That's what we want out of them. Let the churches, you know, we, they want to save souls. I love that. Let's also save those lives. And this is where the church can be so powerful. And it's done it in the past. This isn't novel for faith-based groups. We've always seen them lead the charge to help those more disproportionately impacted and so forth. So that's it. You know, from my standpoint, I view, you know, where the churches are is to allow us to have that cultural transformation to make sure people understand, hey, this is the way out of it. And let me even give you an immediate example right now. I don't know when this podcast will drop. There's a massive blizzard coming to the East Coast. Meteorologists, these scientists went out, they said that on the media. I'm getting messages from my church saying, be safe, be careful. Mm. And it's doing it in a way where 
I'm paying attention. It's fascinating. My mom calls me because she's like, the church told me about this. <laughs> like that's you got to understand. This is the gravity. Churches are part of people's culture, right? From baptisms to you know bar mitzvahs. They're part of the culture, and you can save more lives than any other health system. No, I think that's really powerful because unfortunately there are voices, I think, within the culture that would say, well, churches are becoming less impactful, right? Or less, uh, more distinct from the culture around them. And some of that is, is likely true, but the impact for those of us who are believers will remain strong. And so I, I think that that point that you've made, the ability of churches to impact the people that they serve will continue to remain strong and COVID is no exception. And so it, it really is a critical time and a critical role that they play. So as we wrap up, I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Galliad Satos, for being with us again today. Your deep commitment to the church community, to the faith community is incredible. As we did before, we will link your book, Building Healthy Communities Through Medical Religious Partnerships in the show notes. And we at the Church Law Podcast will continue to keep listeners updated as we move through this unique time. A closing question I would ask you, is there anything else that you'd want to share with the faith community as we move through year two of COVID, which hopefully will be the last year? I don't know. Um, no, if it's last year, I want to come back for season three. If you guys will have me, so, <laughs> it's just you know the, the faith community, you know, and people's thoughts of it, you know, you know whether they're strong or not. The faith community has always been part of humanity. I don't see it ever going away. I think people, you know, the cultural transformations will continue to occur. It's I see this because it's been part of who humanity is, right? We celebrate holidays. We go to these worship services. We do this. It has a place in humanity. And I say this because if it at the same time can protect, right? Because I'm a Greek Orthodox physician. My wife is Jewish. You know, we go to those respective places and we talk about the science breakthroughs, you know, as a gift of God. So, you know, continue doing the work, partner with your congregants, because a lot of them are the scientists doing this and give them a platform so they can talk about the great things to save those congregants. So that's That's it. Thank you. That's so well said. And this podcast is brought to you by Church Lawn Tax and is a part of Christianity Today's podcast network. Today's episode is sponsored by Take the Next Call, a six-week live course where I, Erika Cole, help burnout pastors take the next step toward a life of more joy and contentment so that they can truly serve the Lord with gladness. Learn more at www.takethenextcall.com. to share your comments and questions with me. A part of what we did today is respond to a question about the Supreme Court ruling. I plan to read each of your questions and maybe I'll get to answer your question on an upcoming episode. Reach me at contact at takethenextcall.com and subscribe to the Church Law Podcast to get each new episode and join us on this journey. podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. 
It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.